0: Well, hello, everybody. It is uh, Tuesday, November 21st, 2017, and this is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. My name is Luke Thomas. I am the host of this program. I appreciate you guys watching. As you know, we are normally on Wednesdays at this time. Today, this is Tuesday, obviously, so... Uh, after Thanksgiving, it'll go back to Wednesday. I don't know if there's going to be some kind of interruption on Christmas. I haven't even looked at the calendar then. But tomorrow is going to be the MMA beat because obviously we can't do an MMA beat on Thursday. So everything just kind of got shifted back uh, a day or so. But that's good for you guys because you got MMA hour yesterday. You get the live chat today. You get the beat tomorrow. And then you get your Thanksgiving holiday. You're covered. And then you got UFC Shanghai, of course, on Saturday. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some UFC Sydney stuff. Uh, Colby Covington is out making news again. Whatever you guys want to get to, we'll get to that. Best place to get your questions in, of course, is going to be on MMAfighting.com. Let's see. Couple of housekeeping notes. Number one, I have gotten some incredible feedback on t-shirts and I've gotten some help about it. We're going to... I don't want to make any promises, but I can just say, because everyone will accuse me of being a honey dick, so I'll just say uh, I got a lot of helpful helpful um responses and a lot of great guidelines about how next to proceed so I'll just say thank you for that now I do not wish to leave you hanging any longer no pun intended many of you had asked me a couple of weeks ago about whether or not uh Michael Bisping's cup being you know whatever that was broken and then dislodged and it didn't fit inside his sort of the jock where it all hangs this is an incredibly detailed description about Michael Bisping's crotch that I never really wanted to have, but there was a real question about whether or not it affected him and to what extent it did. So I reached out to him. I didn't get a response before last week's chat, but I got a response before this one. So I asked him the question, uh, let's see, and this was how I worded it. Did the cup not being properly situated in your fight with GSP hamper your ability in any way? Did it affect your movement? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Okay. Here is what he wrote back, quote, it was a fucking nightmare, (laughs) end quote. Now, I followed up with him asking him, right, but to what extent did it affect your winning or losing? I did not get a comment. So the only comment I got from Michael Bisping about the cup was, quote, and pardon my language, it was a fucking nightmare. That's what he wrote about the cup. So, um you can make your own judgment about what all that means but you guys asked me to reach out to him and I did and I got a response so there you go Michael Bisping of course saying that the cup was a nightmare to deal with in that fight whether or not he would have lost I don't know or you know um won I don't know uh, or lost differently who's to say but there you go I wanted to make sure I got that in before uh, we got going any further okay uh, and of course, last fifteen minutes, we'll go to Twitter. You can tweet me at L Thomas News and use the hashtag chat #ChatRappers. All of that is explained on the post on MMA Fighting. Not an official capacity, but I got my diet Mountain Dew back today because I like caffeine. Really, is the long and short of it. So, uh, let's make sure everything else looks hunky dory, and we shall proceed. Yes, they do. Dude, one of my friends is gonna have a kid and it's supposed to come in 18 days. First kid. Man. All right. Let's go. Oop. Look at my phone too, just to pull that out. As you can see, I come prepared. Uh, oh god. Really? All right, let's see. Um, okay, live chat criticism remark suggestion. Hi, Luke. I've been a longtime listener to the podcast and an old-school question asker, okay? I would like to ask, why do you spend so much time on a single question? You used to go through most, if not all, the recorded, excuse me, all the wrecked questions in your comment thread because you spend so much. Well, I like how the first question is just a criticism, but Okay. But you, because you spend so much time on a single question, it leaves a lot of wrecked questions that go unanswered. Yes. Therefore, as a result, queue jumpers just end up hijacking the first comment. Yada, yada, yada. It simply doesn't happen anymore because listeners understand that you'd be, uh, you'd need to jump the queue and hijack an early post in order to get it answered. Can it be possible for you to go back to the old format you got straight to the point and answer the question so you can get through all the rec questions in your live chat thread. Maybe as a suggestion one, don't be tied down to the one hour and 30 minute format. I could be interested in exploring, extending the format, but only if the quality of the broadcast changed, right? Because now it's just me talking to you and I think that's fine for a little while, but, I think anything longer than what it is, A, would get boring for me, and I think it, it, boring for you guys as well. Some kind of a more dynamic visual broadcast, I think, would be required for extending it. So I'm not opposed to it necessarily, but that's something I'd have to talk with uh, my editors and some other folks involved and you know, see if there's an appetite for it and what it would take and see if it's possible. So I'm open to the idea, but there's some challenges involved. Uh, try to get through all the wrecked questions, okay? Or if you stick to the one hour and 30 minute time, you should be able to have time to get through all Rex questions, email, and Twitter. If you've done that, then you can get to what you wanted to talk about regarding MMA and something the commenters failed to mention. Uh, sure, but I mean, there's a couple things to consider here. One, I'm happy to go a little bit faster if that's what some folks uh, desire. That's fine. Uh, the other one, though, is that there's a lot of people doing short form Q&A. And I think it's actually a bit of a market to do the opposite. Now, whether or not It'd be prudent to do that in an hour and a half format where you lose a lot of questions at the other end. That's fine. There might be something to be said for adjusting that. But um, I actually feel like we don't have enough substantive conversations. I know some people are like, well, some of it's repetitive. Some of it's repetitive, sure. Uh, But I'd rather be a little bit repetitive and go a little long than my, my personal inclination than go a little short and just have these glib, trite, and otherwise superficial takes on everything. I mean, some things deserve to be drilled down into, and that takes a little bit of effort, and it takes a little bit of uh, time, and I realize that can be tedious in certain ways, but I uh, there's, there's, I believe that to be a valuable process, but that being said, look, if some people want me to go a little faster, uh, maybe we could do that. So um, I'm happy to expand, provided there are some other things that change, but um, for now, if it's just this, and I'm fine with this, then keeping it an hour and a half, there's a little bit to be said about less being more, like leaving some questions unanswered is probably a good thing, but maybe I can get to more of them, right? And then there's people who have, uh, it's surprising that I don't realize that I only get to 10 out of 70. No, I realize I get to 10 out of 70. It's intentional. Uh, Another thing you should consider is to use Done Broadcaster software. I don't know what Done Broadcaster software is. That will show the queue of questions he is answering. Well, sure, if you would like to pay for that and send it to me, I'm happy to use it. Uh, all right. Let's see. Someone says, with all due respect, a lot of bull S gets wrecked. I personally enjoy the one hour and 30 minute time frame long enough to be substance, but not a huge commitment of time, blah, 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 like some other podcasts. If Luke were to give the simplest answer to these questions for the sake of brevity, there wouldn't be much of a show. I agree. cue jumping is an issue, but the limits of the message board are what they are. So how about this? How about I just try to answer them a little bit more quickly and see if that doesn't um, give you guys what you want. All right. UFC silence on fighters, disciplinary issues. In recent weeks, there have been several episodes where high profile fighters Connor, Vulcan, Verdum, Covington, have gotten into trouble. And the UFC's response? Silence. How do you think the UFC should deal with issues like assault charges, gay slurs, etc.? By the way, uh, in Vulcan's case, it's a serious criminal situation, i.e. a felony charge that could result in prison time. On the one hand, we certainly have innocent until proven guilty, but the criminal process could take a year or more. Right. All right. So, I, I mean, look, well, first of all... Um, Using a gay slur is not illegal, nor should it be and so I don't put that nearly in the same ballpark of seriousness as something like criminal assault or whatever it is uh, or felony charge right so let's let's deal with matters of law. Um, A little bit more seriously so that would be felony than misdemeanor and then other things which isn't to say we minimize the other things but if we're living in a world where we have fighters committing felonies and or misdemeanors with enough regularity that it becomes a problem i think we can put you know language police on the back burner for at least just a little bit now uh that being said what do they do um here's a funny thing that has really occurred to me that i haven't seen as much discussion of potentially because I could be over-exaggerating its uh, effect, but I don't, I don't think so. Um, namely, I remember when the UFC had a code of conduct that they launched, and some of the language was very loose, and some of it was very unequivocal. It really depended on what passage um, you really wanted to go into. You don't hear a lot about the UFC's code of conduct anymore. Uh, it still exists, and I think on some level, the UFC fighters are still bound by it uh, for now. But it's not at the forefront of any kind of discussion related to disciplinary action or any kind of real you know, leading document explaining um, what is expected of fighters in a way that it used to be. I remember it was trotted out back in the day, uh, I think a couple of years ago or so, uh, you know, as a sort of important watershed moment, and it appears to have gone silent. So here's my hunch about that. You'll recall... When Nate Diaz dropped the old F-bomb, he he, he did the three-letter one, the, the abbreviated version. He got fined for it. He got fined for it. And I think they cited, if I'm not mistaken. Let me pull that up real quickly. I believe he was fined in accordance with expectations laid out in the Code of Conduct. Uh, let's see. Let me find that. Here we go. He was fined $20,000 in three months for a homophobic slur. This is from Dave Meltzer back in, let's see, May of, excuse me, that, May of 2013. Uh, let's see, Ultimate Fighting Championship announced Friday, both a fine and three-month suspension for the fighter stemming from the use of a homophobic slur on Twitter against fellow competitor Brian Caraway. Uh, quote, the language used in his tweet was regrettable, offensive, and inconsistent with the values and culture of the organization and is not tolerable. So the statement by Zufa, the parent company of the UFC, they also said that the money will be donated to charity. Um, let's see. Diaz's manager, Mike Kogan, who is now sort of like a Spike Bellator guy, on Thursday night defended his client's use of the word, stating that the Urban Dictionary said the slur he used meant punk and was not in reference to homosexuals. Good Lord. All right. Well, there's no reference there necessarily of that code, but so perhaps that's not the best example, but it, nevertheless, it was trotted out and they sort of said it was antithetical to the organizational organization's values. You don't hear any of that now. To wrap it all up, my hunch is that it has to do with um, increased fighter pushback and increased scrutiny between the relation or the, the line between employee and independent contractor, right? Because now you're asking them to do a whereabouts program. Now you're asking, this is 2013 or whatever they launched, let's see, UFC code of conduct uh launched let's see uh oops let's see see. yes this was april 2013. and the full here we go full code of conduct policy after matt Mitchell's fallon fox flap you guys remember that fighters shall conduct themselves in accordance with commonly accepted standards of decency social convention and morals boy that is quite a hefty thing to ask of somebody who's an independent contractor and fighters will not commit any act or become involved in any situation or occurrence or make any statement which will reflect negatively upon or bring disrepute contempt scandal ridicule or disdain to the fighter or the ufc whoa have they moved on from that uh and in, in particular derogatory or offensive conduct including without limitation insulting language symbols, or actions about a person's ethnic background, heritage, color, race, national origin, age, religion, disability, gender, or sexual orientation. Boy, have they uh, not enforced that at all. My hunch is it's because of that. It, again, it's never one thing or the other when you're talking about the line between employee and independent contractor. It's not if you tick off this one thing, Now that now they are clearly employees, whereas before they were independent contractors. It can be a series of things and and these things have to be weighted sometimes by a court uh to see as the balance of goods told us that this group of um, um uh, whatever this group of potential employees are they that or are they actually independent contractors so i just feel like with everything else that's happening with with how much pushback there is if they try to enforce this code of conduct they would they would open themselves up to either potential litigation or, uh, I mean, fighters don't have a problem suing the UFC anymore, right? Or, um, I mean, hashtag Mark Hunt, or, uh, you know, just risk creating a further bit of malaise. So they've just kind of backed off from it. What they should do is what, um, again, I'm going to go back to it every single time because I think it's absolutely true. They need some new way to set the parameters of their relationship with fighters. They need some kind of deal. Uh, I know that's sort of like a very Trumpian word, but it's a good one here, right? Uh, they need some kind of, a, of understood, mutually agreed upon arrangement where everyone basically gets what they're supposed to do. Because right now what's happening is the UFC is shifting goalposts, acting on whim, doing things they can get away with, not doing things they can't. And it creates a really uneven atmosphere. Where why is the media focused on Conor McGregor dropping a gay slur? Why isn't Volkan maybe allegedly uh, getting in a fist fight at some bar? Uh, not bigger news. Why is Colby Covington allowed to call Brazilians filthy animals? You know why are all these things happening? Um, they're they're happening because I think the UFC, if they tamp down on that, um, they would have some pushback. Or how would fighters promote themselves if you couldn't say derogatory or offensive? conduct, including without limitation, insulting language, symbols, or actions about a person's ethnic background, heritage, color, race, national origin, age, religion, disability, gender, or sexual orientation. I mean, this seems like, this seems like decades ago. All right. Bisping versus Gastelum. Too quick a turnaround for Bisping. How do you see the fight playing out? Well, Bisping apparently, what, has never lost... Uh, uh let's see has never lost two fights in a row, right? So there's that. um I tend to think it's a bit too much of a turnaround, not so much from a performance standpoint, although some of that, but I wonder um if he gets hit, will he have the same amount of Michael bisping resiliency that you know he normally does uh I am curious about that. I really wonder. I don't know the answer. Um, So we're going to see. We're going to see. My sense is that, so who was it? Uh, One of his coaches, Michael Bisping's coaches, said, hey, you know, um, Kelvin Gastelum is a much bigger test force than GSP. And some people scoffed at that. Now, look, I'm not here to say that Kelvin Kelvin Gastelum is as good as GSP, although, you know, you never know. Maybe he is. But let's say he's not. That doesn't mean in certain respects he's not better, and in certain respects that might be more fundamental to their fight in terms of winning or losing. Um, I don't think he's got the same ability to like mix up takedowns, although I guess we'll see. But I do think that the hand speed and the combination punching of Kelvin Gastelum can give a lot of middleweights problems, Michael Bisping chief among them perhaps. I don't know why people think that wouldn't be the case. He has shown that at middleweight, maybe he's the size issue. If someone really wants to lean on him, both physically and metaphorically, that can be a bit of a problem. But he's got excellent accuracy. He's got both explosion and speed, two different things. And he punches in more than just, you know, one go at a time. He doesn't just jab, cross, jab. He puts them together. And that can be a bit of a problem. Plus, he doesn't really get tired at middleweight, not nearly in the same kind of way. So neither will Michael Bisping. I don't expect him to get tired, but you get the idea. Uh, I, I'm curious to see how that plays out and how Michael Bisping gets around that because that's going to be a bit of a tall order. But on the other hand, Michael Bisping is bigger, and I think if he wants to fight in closer range, like real like clinch range, that might be kind of an interesting twist. You know, people forget he bodied Dennis Kang that way. Um It'll be interesting to see him because he's you know michael business not really going to shoot for the takedown um I, i'm not sure he can shoot for much of a takedown with his the state of his knees anymore but he wouldn't want to anyway so, but i wonder if he could you know there's a height difference right whenever there's a height difference and there's like a real stature difference like w- what's the the difference between waist and shoulder position and and, and and placement whenever that's the case the taller fighter always should be thinking about knees and he's actually got a pretty decent clinch game. I wonder if he'd be willing to... And that way, you could also cut down on the combination punching and the explosion of uh, Kelvin Gastelum. So we'll see. I actually am kind of looking forward to that fight. Um, I am not looking forward to getting up early and watching a kind of a nubs card, but it might be kind of fun to uh, to see what what that fight looks like in the end. All right, let's see. Tyron Woodley versus Nate Diaz. I don't think it's going to happen, folks. There are talks of Woodley versus Nate. What do you think of it? And is the UFC strategy behind making that fight? Winner fights Connor or GSP? I don't know how much long-term planning is going into that one, to be honest. I know a lot of folks are like thinking about it where if it happens, what is it setting up? And yes, it does set up some interesting possibilities if you want to consider it that way. Right. Oh, hey! If Diaz wins, um, he'll be the welterweight champion. Conor could go up and fight him, and it would be champion versus champion. It would be, um, um, you know, a super fight. It would be, uh, you know, the third fight between them. It would be the perfect way to end that trilogy, which is all very true. It would be incredible to end the trilogy that way. I don't think the UFC is thinking about that, at least not as the foremost concern or the foremost reason to make it. I think the foremost reason to make it is because they were desperate for a headliner for that December 30th date. And they were merely trying to pull a rabbit out of their hat in terms of who's available and at what weight class. If you ever talk to UFC matchmakers, yes. Sometimes they are thinking about the long term with a fight and a booking and a career and a fighter. You know, how do we really get from A to B with this guy? Um, and giving him the right matchups what at the right time but then ultimately you know giving him the very very best that the division has to offer without without any kind of shielding or protection you 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 do hear some of that but what you also hear a lot for the overwhelming majority of the time is that they're just trying to fill a roster right we've got 12 fights on this card or however many it is however many they plan to put on and they're just trying to get it out the door without issue that's really what a lot of it goes in uh, a lot of it is uh ultimately really about is who's available and what 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 you know in what places you know how do we make sure we're meeting corporate demands and just trying to get by because the, the their their year doesn't i mean yes the year ends for everybody after december 30th but the train rolls on for them they have to fill cards in january and february and march and like forever like they're just trying to make just get by Just get by. And I don't think a lot of fans think of it that way. They want to see that there's some kind of master plan. I think they'd be happy to take it if Diaz won and maybe try something like that. I'm sure they would. And in MMA, you can never count a guy out. So, hey, maybe he could actually do something like that. But if I was a betting man, I would bet that that would be a benefit, an ancillary benefit. But the real aim here is we need to fill out this calendar. You know, uh, What has Diaz done to deserve a welterweight title shot? Nothing. Actually, any title shot for that matter. Nothing. Right. That's the other reason you wouldn't want to do this is because um, it's a fight that makes no sense. In any capacity whatsoever. Other than, hey, we need something that can fill up a gap. We need something to plug this hole in the ship. What is it? Bellator uh, Heavyweight Grand Prix. Bellator recently announced their Heavyweight Grand Prix a breath of fresh air to the heavyweight division. What are your thoughts on it? Who's your favorite to win it and why? Someone says, I hope Luke says this is sad. (laughs) Who am I, Trump? Uh, Look at the matchups. It's comical. Strikeforce had the roster. It made sense, and it was amazing. The Heavyweight Grand Prix 2.0 is actually like the Heavyweight Grand Prix point... Two, five. well it's funny you say that because i remember when the strike force grand prix was announced and widely mocked i remember this quite quite clearly i remember everyone being like yeah it's interesting but here's what's really going to happen and sure some of it did break down a lot of it did break down and you didn't get some of the matchups that you ultimately wanted fedor versus uberim never really happened okay Not everything went according to plan, but in the end, the final fight, the Josh Barnett, Daniel Cormier fight was tremendous in its own right. Daniel Cormier launched himself into that next level of his career, and, you know, you have to, uh, you have to, uh, look, if a promoter tries something big and then just comically falls apart, well, then you have to say as much. But if it just kind of falls apart because, you know, maybe the engineering wasn't perfect, but more so the issue was just th- things didn't go the way they wanted it to, then you you have to temper your criticisms a little bit. I don't think that the, the Bellator heavyweight tournament, whatever they want to call it, is sad. I think it's good enough for what they can do. I don't think it's nearly as good on paper as the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix, but that's on paper. Let's see what actually happens with it. Look, Bellator is trying something. They're trying something. Could they have picked maybe a few different heavyweights and subbed out a couple of light heavyweights? Yes, they could have. Um, but Bader going up to heavyweight is interesting to me. Chell Sonnen even going up to heavyweight is interesting to me. Um, I'm curious to see what Fedor and Frank Mir looks like, to be honest. I guess at an advanced stage in both of their careers. But I have managed expectations about it all, and I would encourage you all to do the same as well. You should have fun with this. And look, and if they, if they comically jack this up, then we will say as much. Uh, and I, I'm not expecting the sun and the moon and the stars I'm merely expecting what they're offering, and what they're offering is basically more or less what they can offer. If they had a substantively better product, than that they would give it to you, but they don't because that's not the way MMA is structured right now. So, I, I, I uh, if you don't want to watch it, don't. You know, it's fine if you don't, if you don't like it, say as much. If the fights end up turn out to be garbage, because in the end we there was some sort of matchmaking insight that they missed out on, fine. But Rich Chow is a talented guy, Scott Coker's a talented guy, and they're doing what they can. With the roster that they have uh you know am i buzzing with excitement about it that might be a little bit strong but i genuinely support the effort to try something to do something different to just not trot out content month after month after month there was a there was years there especially in 2013 and 2014 where they were just pumping out shows and not just ufc all promoters i think that's when dana white had the you know who cares what you think tweet to me where uh I was like, promoters just generally need to need to try harder. There was so much filler out there. And people weren't really feeling me back then in terms of that argument. And I think it's a lot stronger now that you can just see. I mean, look, did UFC Sydney need to take place? Sort of. I mean, if you wanted to keep the Australian market churning, yeah. Um, they have a contractual number of shows that they owe Fox Sports 1. Okay. On that level, Sure. In these larger global ambitions slash television commitments, there's a very strong argument to make for UFC Sydney. But just look what happened. It had virtually no impact on the MMA world. None. Did you really need to have that show? You didn't. You just didn't. It's just now UFC Norfolk, a little bit different. UFC 217, obviously dramatically different. But this is my point. There's a lot of fat trimming that could happen. Um that doesn't because there's just this currently, well, there's just too many commitments, but there's this glut of responsibility content that comes from this responsibilities that these guys have signed up for. And Bellator does a lot of that, like that show. I mean, I granted there was a different headliner for the one in Israel and going to Israel makes sense because no one else is really going to Israel. That's a major promotion of any kind. Um, but did that show like super need to happen. No, you know, did it fundamentally affect MMA in any kind of way that matters? No. You know, there's just a lot of content out there. I mean, how many Thackerville shows do we not need? Just about all of them. Um, and and I would like to see some kind of sense and less is more approach um, brought to MMA on those terms. Everyone says, it's a heavyweight tournament with a bunch of guys who aren't heavyweights nor have ever fought at heavyweight. That's the farcical aspect of it to me. So don't watch. Problem solved. There you go. Vote with your dollars. You're either your real dollars or your attention dollars. Just vote. Just vote. it will be all right. Verdum's title fight chances. Hi, Luke. Ritchie Verdum asked for a title shot last Saturday after beating Marcin Tibora and did the same thing after beating Walt Harris five weeks ago. Do you think he has done enough to get a rematch with Miocic for the belt? And should his antics outside the cage of Colby Coveted be taken into account before giving it to him? Um, well, the fact that he has such a cozy relationship with Ramzan Kadyrov is something that's a bit of a problem that I think they should take seriously. I mean, do you want a UFC champion who is in bed with a guy who, you know, systemically murders some of his own people? Probably not. Um, that would not be a great look. So I think that should absolutely count against him because if you're the UFC, you have to consider that, you know, what a terrible look it would be for you in the press if that ever that ever came to light, to, I realized that was the case before, Before everyone was really aware of it, but now everyone's aware of it. It would not be a good look. It would not be a good look at all. So I don't know what, I don't know what is wrong. Like Fabricio is otherwise quite a very likable guy and he's smart and he's funny and he's, you know, he, nobody's perfect, but he's basically a likable character. And then he just does this weird thing where, I, I mean, they must be paying him sick cash. I don't know. So that's a bit of a problem. Uh, but the case is not really super strong for Alistair unless he can beat a new. And the case for, you know, it's like a, it's two great wins by Verdum. I get it. You know, he beat Walt Harris like cleanly, fast. And then he basically outclassed Tybora. But I don't know. I thought he kind of needed a knockout or something spectacular in this fight, which is not to say it's easy to get against Tybora. I'm just saying some kind of performance like that, some kind of spectacular rise to glory would have been needed to really you know, plead his case. Uh but I I I'm, I am here's what I think. I think if Nganu beats Overeem, he might get the shot. And I think if Overeem beats him, he'll probably get the shot. I think they're probably gonna ice over uh Verdoom if they can otherwise avoid it, you know. To say nothing of the fact that they had the Colby Covington stuff, which I spoke to Covington yesterday and he was like, Verdum just came out of nowhere and started it. I, I'm I'm willing to believe that's true, although I don't know that it is. You know, because Verdum is like, for a guy who's like happy go lucky and stuff, he gets in a lot of like shoving matches with people. Have you noticed that? You know, and then what some of it was great, okay, like when he front kicked um, Edmund Tarverdier, that was great. But then he has the Colby stuff, and then of course, the Tony Ferguson stuff, and all those guys could have handled that better. But I don't know, it's just a little bit weird. All right, um, let's see. Is it felt like Fabricio Verdum has become more erratic in his behavior? Maybe a little bit. Okay. Jesus, you guys want me to answer all these questions and you have these long questions. Do you think Aldo stepping in on relatively late notice to fight Max Holloway is a good move on his behalf? I know that sounds strange given it's a title fight, but hear me out. He was a great featherweight champ and was rightly top of that tree on the pound-for-pound pound list at the time. Then came Connor and Max, two young studs who have put different kinds of beatings on Aldo. I think Aldo was soundly beaten by Max the last time out. And to me, I think Aldo needs fundamental changes in order to reclaim his crown. Aldo is still young at thirty thirty one and would probably be better suited to taking two fights before challenging for his title again. Uh, Another defeat to Holloway now would basically halt his stint in the featherweight division and force him up to lightweight. I appreciate fighters having a fighter's mindset, which sets them apart, but is is this one time where someone should have been guided Aldo away from following his heart? Well, it's a difficult thing to to do, because here are your options, basically, if you're the UFC. Again, it's just plugging holes. Everyone's like, what does it mean down the line if X wins and Y doesn't? That's a that's a consideration you can make if it's a real organic fight that fans have demanded and sort of makes sense divisionally. You can begin to think about implications like that. But if it's just, oh my God, we're scrambling, you got to throw that out the window. So here's what you had. You had Holloway versus Edgar. Edgar falls out. Who can replace him? You have La- oh, That's nearby and available uh, and relatively in the same level of the division. And again, relatively is the word that we're using. You have Ortega and Cub Swanson and you have Aldo and you have Ricardo Lamas. So you got four choices there to pick from. Um, Lamas thinks he had a strong case because he gave Aldo, excuse me, he gave um, Holloway a tougher fight than those other two guys, which is true. Um, He both those guys got finished inside of three rounds, and he went the distance, so something to be said for that. But I just don't think folks were on this. He just wasn't naturally considered to be on the radar. And I asked him, like, did you and your management explain to UFC that you wanted this fight, and they said, yes. So. Whatever. That one just never caught fire. Even though he's on a two-fight win streak and just had a big win over um, Jason Knight. So then you have Brian Ortega. Now, he had a nice win over um, Hanato Moicano, but I don't think folks were really saying he deserved a title shot just yet. So that left Cub and that left Aldo. Cub, as you know, I think seemed to be like the more popular of the two choices by a number of fans online, but um, was on the last fight of his contract, although was willing to sign another one to get the fight, but I think that impacted it. Plus, if you remove the headliner there, who's going to fill in back on the headliner? Because if you remove Aldo from the Lama's fight, there's still the headliner of RDA versus Lawler. So that's kind of how the thinking basically went. Um, and so Aldo just went, went, ended up being just an attractive choice. Now, you're asking a bit of a different question, which is that's great if the UFC needs you to fill in that position, but if you're a friend of Aldo or you're a teammate or someone who's in a position to give him advice, would you have advised him to not take that fight? Hard to say. Hard to say if you're ever going to get another title shot again. A lot of these guys feel like if they can... You, you saw Michael Bissman. He's like, if I got one more shot of GSP, I'm sure I would win. And that might be true. You never know. But uh, I actually don't mind it. If you To me, it was like he got beat by McGregor in the way he did. And that was a little bit fluky, but you have to think that McGregor could probably do it again. I know some people think that, well, Aldo won the first two rounds against uh, Holloway, but not really. Holloway was just figuring him out and was and then once he got him, he just he ran over him. It was quick. It was quick. Uh that ending there was brutal. But he just needs a minute or two to figure you out. And once he does that, it's it's curtains for you. So I actually saw that as like the frog in the boiling water, but he was the frog was put in the water when it was nice and warm and tepid. By the time it's boiling it's too late to get out. It's that kind of thing. Um but I, you know, you say go to lightweight, but I think he'd be fine at lightweight. I don't know if he would contend for a title, but I think it's okay. I think his time, basically 30-31, yes, he's competing. He's been competing for a very long time. I clearly think there's a new generation of featherweights who are capable of winning at a level now that he is not, and that's just the natural order of things. Trying to preserve that, if you're if you're his teammates and you want to advise him of that to like take his time, that's fine. Um, he probably, I guess, you would favor him against Lamas, but you never know. What if he loses that? Uh, and again, these guys all feel like if I can just do a couple of things differently, I can win. And maybe he's right. Maybe he will beat Max Holloway. My sense of things is if his teammates or his people around him don't want to do that, I don't mind that because I just feel like the order has passed and he's trying to catch he's trying to catch, you know sand through his fingertips a little bit. and uh, it's okay if if that's that's happening because that's just the way divisions move. Stipe absence. Uh, Look, the the UFC undisputed heavyweight champ hasn't fought since May and has no fight currently scheduled. Uh, You have mentioned that this delay has been due to contract dispute, but how have the UFC let this disagreement starve themselves of a gold star fighter like Stipe for this amount of time during what uh, some believe to be a stagnant year for the company? Well, if someone's making demands that take time to get through, you cannot expedite that. Do you know any more information? Um, Not anything that I can share, no. No. They are arguing over a few hundred grand and surely would have been made more sense to cave to Stipe to get him to, to headline a card in Ohio and they would have received some payback. Or is the delay due to the lack of potential contenders with Kane out or has Stipe had some corrective surgery or rehab? And that's not my understanding. I also reached out just to be on the safe side. I reached out to uh, Bernie Profeto uh, who um, runs the commission up there and I was like, has he applied for a boxing license just to see if that was true? And he said no. Now this was about a month ago, so I have to double check since then, but um, I feel like someone would have picked up on that in that month's time had that been the case. So, so no, it's not like he's trying the Nate Diaz route or the Conor route where he's trying to force his hand and get Aliak protection. I didn't, um, and he didn't apply for a federal ID for boxing as well, so that didn't happen. So, it appears to just be some kind of understanding. I think about you know monetary Valley. You got to remember something about Stipe. He's doing the best he's ever ha- done. But, you know, he came, I will say came close to losing the Overeem fight, but, you know, he got rocked there. A couple more of those shots maybe would have closed the show on him. You know, it's not like he got through that completely unscathed. And he's 35. He's 35. He probably knows that this is peak earning time. And if I have to sit out, you know, I'd only fight once in a year to make sure that whenever I fight in 2018 that I get the kind of checks that I need, then that's what I need to do. I'm guessing... That's a big part of it. You know, Steve Miocic has said explicitly in these terms, I do not care about celebrity. He cares about big fat paychecks, though. and, And I think that probably pays a very big part in this. Mark Goddard Future. Hi, Luke. Do you think this latest bust up with McGregor will cost Goddard some work with the UFC? Nope. Well, will it? Uh, I hope not, but it shouldn't. I imagine he will not be allowed to ref SB, you put SGB fights now through no fault of his own. I really hope not, because that shouldn't be the case. Here's the funny part about all this after this is all over you can't argue effectively anyway. You cannot argue effectively that he has shown any unfair bias um in the course of doing his job uh, against sbg fighters you actually cannot make that argument you can make the argument that sbg fighters or at least one of them anyway has made his life a little bit difficult but uh there's actually no evidence that's true so if you're if it was me and i was the commission i wouldn't hesitate at all now they may act in some kind of prudence to avoid some kind of dust up at the event. And I guess there might be a case to be made for that or something. But if we're talking about competency and we're talking about who got the job done and who did their best given the circumstances, you know, there's not a whole lot of, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying Goddard is above reproach, but, you're going to be hard pressed to say he did a poor job of officiating. You're going to be hard pressed to say he did an even mediocre job of officiating. Uh, he does a good job or better um, about, about all the time. It seems to me that Goddard has had a target on his back for years with the SBG Connor crew since Connor beat one of the guys he coached a while back. Goddard is a top ref who doesn't stand for Connor's BS. And it seems unfair to have him suffer in any way because of this i really don't think in totality he'll suffer um but it's something to pay attention to we'll see how commissions handle it someone says goddard and john cavanaugh have always seemed friendly Kavanaugh talks highly of him and has had him over for seminars in dublin so i doubt there'll be much issues with most sbg fighters mcgregor fights he may miss out on as mcgregor can contest the referee appointed to his fights doesn't mean they'll be taken off but by commission though no, that's correct so so yeah so we'll see i hope not <sighs> <sighs> Woo. your boy has some allergies today megan anderson situation man i don't know anything about this as we now have cyborg home officially announced i was curious if you would heard anything about the megan anderson current status i have not i have not Michael Bisping, how is Bisping even allowed to fight 21 days after being put to sleep? I don't think being put to sleep is really the big deal. Is there not a medical suspension for stuff like that? No. How much t- Oh, not much of one. How much time would he need to have actually prepare effectively for this fight? I see this ending very bad for him. Uh... Someone says, the UFC is the commission when they go to places like China, a big conflict of interest. So long as the UFC can find a doctor that will medically clear a fighter, I don't think there's anything to stop them. It's correct. Theoretically, they could book a fighter on one of those foreign cards one week after he was viciously KO'd. Also true, if they wanted to. Now, they claim they go by Nevada standards, whatever that is supposed to mean day in, day out. Uh, hang on, y'all. Ugh. All right. Um, so here's the big question, and I, this is one I don't know the answer to, and I'm and, and I'm I and i am i do not know who does. When someone says he's medically cleared, what does that mean? Like what is okay? You're gonna check his blood work. All right, it's good. You're gonna check his vision. All right, nothing wrong with that. You know, maybe there's a CT scan in there somewhere. Maybe some MRIs. Um, I'm not exactly sure what is involved other than, here's my question, what battery of tests is he going through that tells you conclusively he is healthy to compete? Or, stated differently, what battery of tests is he going through that can conclusively tell you that whatever damage suffered in the fight with St. Pierre will have a negligible impact in the fight with Gastelum? And I don't know that they can say that. I don't know that there's any test, even if there had been no fight with St. Pierre, that could conclusively tell you whether or not someone's healthy to fight. I mean, fighting is inherently unhealthy and bad for you. So, um, you know, how you answer that question is sort of a complicated one, right? Because people have varying degrees of damage over the years. The question is how much damage you're willing to tolerate over time. But that's, I think what I'm driving at is like, you hear the train going by. I don't. I don't understand, I don't know what they're looking at to say, well, you know, it's all clear here on the Western front. Um, Besides the basic stuff that would, everything I read about brain trauma tells us that they have very limited ability to access anything of of value or of note medically while someone is alive. So, So what are those tests telling you? Now, again, sometimes people can have things that come up on these tests that can indicate to doctors that there is a reason for concern. John Fitch had alluded to one. Rashad Evans had his issues in New York. They are not utterly worthless, but I'm wondering how many things slip through the cracks of that battery of testing. I suspect there's probably going to be a lot. So yeah, I've got plenty of concerns, but I don't know what to do about it. You know, it just seems way too soon, but we have no real way of understanding exactly why. And what would you know? How much damage he actually incurred? The the choking out thing is not a big deal. I mean, I, I don't want you to I don't want to say that so then the kids go on Thanksgiving for the relatives and they're all choking each other unconscious. It's not that I don't. Really, I'm, I'm not here to say this is a advisable practice, but among the things that happened to him in that fight, him getting choked unconscious is the least interesting to me. Uh, it was the elbows, as I've talked about before, the elbows that he took. Those are the ones where you're like. You know, I don't know. That one seems a little bit much for me. Um, but we'll see. What chances do you give Mike this weekend? i we all just take a minute to appreciate this being such a tough SLB. I don't have a... I don't have a strong sense about this one. so I, I know this is a bit of a cop-out, so I'll say 50-50. What do the odds say? Let's see. Best Fight Odds. They've got it as Bisping as a significant underdog. Wow. I did not realize it was like that. Huh? That's funny. Um. Well, then I guess everyone's favoring Gastelum. I, I think it's a little more even than that. So it says, can you unblock me on Twitter? Maybe, if I feel like it. Everyone wants me to unblock them. All right, after this is over, I'll unblock them. What's this thing's cup break? Did I ever get back to you on this? I never saw anything on Twitter. You heard it at the beginning of this chat. There you go. Uh, Ali Act for MMA. I know it's a big question, but is there any simple way of breaking down the merits and demerits of having this act expanded to include MMA? Is it a case where the act would improve things for fighters, but not necessarily for the fans? Is it just too hard to know how it would impact the sport? We've talked about this a lot. And so you guys want me to go long or don't want go long? I mean, I don't know what to tell you here. I've covered this one a little bit, but basically the idea is it would create an independent rankings organization that fighters would then have the ability to leverage uh, for themselves against promoters. It could potentially change the way contracts are structured in the sport. It would allow um, it would allow um, uh, the fighters to know how much the promoter is making on an event. Uh, it, would, it would be required by law to disclose those things. So there are some benefits to it, but I think the question is really about that sanctioning body and the independent rankings. And if that were to happen, how would that, and again, the the, the contracts being um, uh, more open, how would that affect any one player's footprint in the sport to either, to, in this case, to shrink if it's the UFC? Like, how would it change the power dynamic? Would it fundamentally cripple UFC to the point where there's no different than Bellator? Would it have a negligible impact? I don't know. The easy one to rally behind is the financial disclosure. I don't think anyone in their right mind would be opposed to that. Um, it's just that the rankings one, you know, and if someone has a, has a mandatory title shot, then these fights have to be put on, then that would create some interesting headaches for promotions, especially as guys. It, it, look, there's many reasons to think it would be good for fighters, and again, the financial disclosure one. I don't know how anyone could be opposed to that. But as I've said before, guys, what I really my my personal my personal favorite arrangement is one where the fighters have a union and they have a collective voice, but the matchmaking control is largely retained through um, the company. I just feel like over time that better services consumer interests, and I think that's why the UFC is fighting so strongly to retain them, if they could. uh ufc 2018 tv deal according to reports from the sports business journal all media companies that have approached excuse me all media companies they have approached i need glasses have rejected the ufc's asking price do you see them just going back at on fox at 200 million a year which is what what which is what fox offered probably closer to two, 250 uh, for folks who may not have heard, the Sports Business Journal, which is like a preeminent um, media outlet uh, whose reporting is almost always ironclad, reported that the UFC is having some hard times getting some suitors involved. Uh, in particular, they have been looking for $450 million annually for some of their stuff. Now, you might be saying, well, how much do they make now? They make what is believed to be probably around $100 million a year annually. So they're looking for a fourfold increase. That, as I believe, I'll give him credit, I believe it was Front Row Brian, whatever his real last name is, let's just call him Brian, who uh, had reported a while ago that UFC was looking to reduce the number of pay-per-views and take some of those stars who you might normally see on pay-per-view and then put them on free TV. So yes, they're asking for an increase in the rights fees, but they're asking for an increase in rights fees commensurate in their mind anyway. With an increase in the quality of the kinds of people you used to have to pay for it, now you get them for free. Uh, no one is taking $450 million. I mean, th- in this market for rights fees, that seems insane. Now, Austin Carp, I believe is his name, has said that NASCAR tried a similar approach a few years ago and was able to, um, you know, essentially force networks into accepting whatever their television rights uh, fee ask was. But... Even just six months ago, everything feels very, very different here. And they even said in the article that they were considering going all digital. I honestly would not be opposed to that even a little bit, even a little bit. I really feel like, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, if you're waiting to cut the cord, I don't know what you're waiting for. Um, there's nothing you can't get by, if you cut the cord, more or less, more or less. There's nothing you can't get. Uh, it's cutting the cord is so easy now. Now you might have to see whether it's worth it to you. For me, my bill was astronomically high and now it's high, but not so bad. Um, it's more, I think I pay with everything I do. I think I pay like a hundred bucks for cable, something like that. But I was paying nearly, nearly triple that a month. It was like, I was like a car payment. It was insane. And I was like every day, every month I'd look at my bank account and just weep. And how much cable costs. So I have dramatically slashed costs, and I could even still—I could probably cut mine down to seventy a month. And I, in fact, I think I will. Thirty-five of that is YouTube TV, which is great, but I don't really need. Um, I use Sling, and I use um, and I buy HBO independently. I have HBO now. It's supposed to HBO Go. Uh, it's easy to get, and so. I don't. I don't really know what people are waiting for, and I feel like that drop off is that bundle that held cable together was so powerful for so long, and it is cracking. And there's really a big question about what's. I, I've, I've, we've talked about it before, but I really wonder what the future of Viacom is, and I really wonder what the future of Bellator is vis-a-vis Viacom, and all of this. So. To answer the question, will they go back to 200? I suspect they'll get a little bit more than that, maybe 250. But in the end, man, if you've got a company that is servicing 34% of your content, you're just going to let those guys walk. I don't buy that. I just don't buy that. So um, my hunch is that it's going to be split. Some stuff's going to be on Fox, maybe some stuff on ESPN, and then a lot of it online. The only thing that I find very surprising, and I think I mentioned this before as well, is that there's no real talk of turning Fight Pass into like the next big thing. Um, they just seem content on giving away stuff to like Amazon or Oath, which is the Verizon-backed company, which please God do not do that. Uh, That part is strange to me. That part I can't quite wrap my head around. One says, get on the Joe Rogan podcast. I don't think Luke would inquire about being on JRE. You're right, I won't. I mean, I'd be happy to be on, but I'm not going to be one of these guys who like begs them to be on. So let's get a ton of wrecks. You got five. And <laughs> convince Luke to reach out to Joe Rogan's team. It wouldn't hurt to try, and I think it would be an amazing podcast. How about it, Luke? I appreciate everyone's vote of confidence. That is very, very nice of you. I do not say that lightly, but if he wants to have me on, he'll have me on. I've spoken to Joe before. He knows how to get in contact with me. He's a busy guy. He has lots of people he'd like to have on. I completely understand it. I watch the podcast or listen when I can. Uh, it'd be great, but I don't want to be one of those guys who just begs. That seems that seems like a bad look. look. do you think the possibility of the FCC undoing net neutrality could have an impact on the UFC going to online services after the Fox deal? I we'll have to see exactly what would happen in the event of the Ajit, uh, the dumbass pie. Uh, decides to put this before a vote um what it would exactly do and who who would act on that most fervently but uh i would say possible but hard to, just incredibly hard to anticipate at this juncture i will say however that I, I completely support the justice department in preventing the merger of time warner and at&t i will say that and i don't think it's nearly for the political reasons that someone will assume I think those two should be kept apart. Man, what a great question. Will Brooks, where does he go from here? Do you see him getting released on his current three-fight losing streak? He hasn't looked great at all since coming over from Bellator as their lightweight champ. Uh, someone says, finished in three fights in a row, Stack division. His fighting style isn't very fan-friendly. I bet the UFC cuts him now, and I really doubt that Bellator makes him an offer. Yeah, he burned a bridge on the way out there. We could see Will fighting for a regional promotion for the next few fights, trying to rehab his career. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what they're going to do. I That is... Man, you want to talk about one of those things I just never saw coming? I never saw that coming. Yeah, you win some, you lose some, sure. But um, to go one and three? You know, two and two, I'd be like, okay. If someone told me he was going to go two and two in the UFC, I'd be like, yeah, right. You know, that can make sense depending on your... Your matchmaking, but one and three against guys who you would have believed he would have beat. Let me look at the odds on all these. Uh, let's look up that. Will Brooks. So Will Brooks against Nick Lentz, he was the minus 385 favorite, closed at f- minus 550. Against Charles Oliveira, minus 250. Against Alex Oliveira, minus 360. And against Ross Pearson, also a minus 435. Now, of course, he won the Pearson fight. He was favored in all those contests. Um, That is a tough one. That is a tough one because, you know, you want to look at the normal culprits. Has weight cutting badly affected him? No, not that we can tell. Um, Could it be a USADA issue? There's really no change in his physique at all. Uh, There's no, I mean, maybe, but there's no real signs to tell you that, that that seems to be like, you know, one of the culprits. Does he look in shape when he fights? Like, is this like a Melvin Gillard situation? He appears to be in tremendous physical condition. So, what is it? Now, I guess he had said he had some motivation issues, you know, for getting to the UFC. I can believe that, but he thought he had rounded those out. Uh I don't know if he's just progressing enough. Maybe that's it. Like in the UFC, man, best practices advance very quickly. Here's something to, to think about. I, I I have seen some guys who like, okay, if you train in an MMA gym or you train in a jiu-jitsu gym and you do that a lot, and especially if you're a coach or a teacher, I've seen this. They obviously know a lot about the game, but they don't necessarily watch a lot of modern MMA. So here's what I mean. I have seen it where like, you know, these, these guys who they clearly know a ton about fighting. But in terms of, and if I, I honestly believe if you're a coach and you're a trainer and you either want to be successful as, as a uh, competitor or as somebody who is training competitors, right? Because you can be both a coach and a trainer and a competitor. Like th- these things are overlapping. Then you need to unequivocally watch modern MMA. Because if you don't know what modern MMA looks like in terms of, yes, guys have certain abilities, but they have certain strategies. They have certain approaches to the game. They have certain things they look for. Certain things they don't look for. They're they're just trying things in ways that you know um, that they wouldn't in previous times, or not to the same degree, or with the same kind of twist on it. You need to look at that. And it looked to me like this is a bit of a separate issue because I'm sure all of his coaches are are well schooled on what's happening in modern MMA, but. The only thing I can think of is, you know, that, that takedown decision was poor, but he should have known to jump to the other side and, or maybe he thought to, and he just didn't prepare it. It just didn't, he's kind of sleepwalking in there a little bit. And so I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know if it's that motivation thing. I don't know. Maybe we all need to say, Hey, we overrated the guy, but I don't feel like that's true because, you know, he beat Michael Chandler and convincingly. And, you know, I, I, I think you've seen what Michael Chandler has shown as a skill and my sense is that he just hasn't really progressed um, to the point where he needs to, to avoid obvious errors. You know, the one where he tore his rib or whatever against uh, Cowboy Oliveira, that's one thing. But the last two losses seemed eminently preventable. Um, it's, 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 a weird, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. When these things come out of left field like this, I never really know what to make of them. Oh, funny question. Here we go. Here, a large percentage of fighters openly say in interviews they don't watch much MMA, if any, MMA fights. A few years back, Namor said he didn't watch any soccer and people jumped on him for this, but it seems much more common in MMA that the fighters aren't really big fans of their own sport. Why do you think that is? Because being a fan of MMA and being a fighter in MMA are so radically different. There's a big gap between them. People think it's there's not a big gap. There's a big gap. Guys just want to fight and they just want to compete. It's a It's a... This is the same in jiu-jitsu. There are some people that love watching jiu-jitsu. There's a lot of people who don't. But even inside jiu-jitsu, there are guys who find watching it outside of their own competitive ambitions boring uh, or just uninteresting to them. They don't really care. It's quite common. It's quite common. Some of these sports, they're participatory sports, fighting less so than jiu-jitsu. But the appeal to someone is just their ability to do it. It's not the ability to watch others do it. Uh, and a lot of times there's overlap between them, but it's a Venn diagram. There's a big chunk in the center where yes, and there's people on both sides who either love to watch and don't participate or hate to watch and participate or some you know mix of the two. Uh, let's see. Is Anderson Silva's legacy really all that tarnished? The majority of his highlight reel that wins are from known PED users in the heyday of PED use. Son and Belfort, Moore Court Bonner. Um, I actually don't think that many people are killing him. Now, he actually had a bit of a fortuitous turn where that news broke after the conor mcgregor madness and then when it got brought up again i forget something else happened i forget maybe it was the Covington stuff or something i don't know but he's been the beneficiary of news that has drowned out this and it's happened at the tail end of his career you know it didn't happen like for john jones where it was like right smack dab in the middle you know where you're literally getting the title taken from you for stuff like that you know that kind of thing so Uh, Now, you might believe that it should be tarnished, and I think some will advocate for that. But if I'm just looking around and seeing what people are saying about it, to see what the general... Is is there momentum behind the idea that Anderson Silva's legacy needs to be reviewed? There is some of that happening, but I wouldn't call it a ton of momentum. No, I don't think that's true uh, for the reasons aforementioned. And I really fundamentally believe that you know i guess joe morgan was advocating to people to not vote steroid users into known steroid users into the baseball hall of fame it's like right what about all the ones who aren't known you're just gonna let that slide so you're happy to have steroid users in there just the, you're just happy to scapegoat or at least overemphasize the impacts of those who got caught you know i find that just to be laughable and totally an incoherent position Look, if you guys don't like PEDs, you don't like PEDs, right? We're not going to have, I'm not going to relitigate that debate. But what you need to figure out is for yourself, and everyone's going to have a different answer for this. You have to figure out for you how you square this, how you reconcile that many, many legends who we honor and award and, you know, further lionize and celebrate Um, probably did a metric ton of some kind of performance enhancing drugs that were never detected, either because they were fought in a place where they weren't tested for, let's say Japan, or poorly tested for here in the States, that there were many heroic moments of MMA that are strictly a function of PED use, that even if people were microdosing, they benefited over time and were simply never caught, and then when testing improved and fighters still were were bad at taking drugs, Because that's really what the problem is here uh, in terms of guys getting caught. MMA fighters never had to worry about taking drugs or getting caught for taking drugs, I should say. So they got bad at it. Wait till they get good at it. Wait till MMA fighters are good at avoiding testing. That's going to be real fun there. Um, So you have to figure out how much of that do I want to count towards celebrating all-time greats. Either on some kind of Mount Rushmore or divisional rankings, you know, all time best welterweights or something, um, when you know that there's probably at least half of those guys who you love, at least half, who are just absolutely abusing and using those drugs. You know, so what are you going to do? Are you going to say you don't care? You're going to still allow that? Or are you going to say um, everything will start after USADA? You know, everyone's going to have a different answer for that, and I encourage you to think about that and the way you want to. Only thing I ask is that you just be consistent. If if, if performance-enhancing drug use to you is some kind of scourge on the sport, then adopt a position that accurately reflects the the magnitude of that. Or if you basically realize that this is an inevitable consequence of sports for celebrity and sport for monetary reward and that testing while currently catching the idiots is not really going to get anybody good. And that drug use uh, is going on now and will continue to go on. It has been a key component of the sports growth and many of its celebrated moments. Then you just say, you know, that it doesn't have that much of an impact in measuring who has done the best because it's impossible to tell and differentiate who's done what other than in the most recent era. You gotta figure out what works for you. Uh, what's going on with that London card that was supposed to be made for Till? Someone says quite correctly that was it's a Liverpool event. It has no date yet. And Dana never said they were moving that card. He said that fight, uh, he said they were moving that fight, and Lance Pugmire reported it as UFC moving the entire card. That wasn't the case. Um Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen. Are you gonna see Connor in Boston in January? According to Coach Kavanaugh, you won't see him till like March or April, right? So that's fun. Speaking of which, why are there three big Fox cards in less than two and a half months? One is in December, so that would finish the last quarter, so that doesn't count. But you do have two in quarter one. January, February. I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. That's really a good that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, okay, misogynistic language. Hi, Luke. Oh, Jesus Christ. I guys love to needle with these questions. A lot of fuss is being made about fighters using homophobic and racist language, and rightfully so. But how come no one raises an eyebrow over the constant use of language degrading women? such as the B, being a P, having a V, being a little girl. I always find it funny how having balls somehow represents strength and toughness, and being a P equals weakness. When a small tap... Oh, God, Jesus Christ, what kind of question is this? Any outside of uh, And outside of the logical fallacies, I just find it extremely disrespectful towards the toughness of the female fighters uh, show every time they step into the cage. And to all the misogynist snowflakes out there, person writes, crying about PC and whatnot, grow some P for F's sake. Okay. Uh, So the basic answer to this is that you can't even fundamentally address these issues until you've got all the other ones worked out because this is only going to happen once it dawns on people that those are issues they have to figure out first. And once that is, then then they will be prepared to uh, at least hear arguments about this. But you have people who are resistant to the notion that they should in some way have um, any kind of public decorum. Especially even on the grounds that you should have public decorum merely as a function of preserving the sports image to a wider public. Like there are people who don't even understand that need, so until you can work through those donkeys, uh, asking this to be put at the table of conversation, while I understand the position, uh, is is not going to work. Just it's that they're just not going to listen to you. So, so that's probably why. Any chance that we will get a fight companion with the MMA beat guys? Probably never. Probably never. Um, Let's see. We all live in different states. We all have families. And we all have lives. So I would put the chances on that as something approximating less than zero. Unfortunately. I would do it if they ever wanted to do it. But I don't think they want to do it. So. Plus, all those guys are always at the fights. you know. Vice Principals, how did you enjoy the conclusion? I loved it. I loved it. I thought, um, well, I don't want to give anything away, but I thought the way it ended was hilarious and tragic and funny and weird and bizarre, just like the whole show. I loved it. Danny McBride is like one of my favorites. Kenny Powers, as you can well imagine, is also one of my favorites characters although trading with uh, robert garcia do you think it'll help him probably a little bit hey look at that i got to the bottom of the live chat speaking of which it is now although it's a tuesday so it's a little bit of a lesser live chat but we can now go to the questions on twitter you can get at me at l thomas news and then you can use the hashtag chat wrappers let's see All right, when are you going to do another watch party? Next time, bring the drunk guy and the grappling expert. Enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'll just want to be honest with you guys. From a viewership standpoint, I'm satisfied with what it got, more or less. From a product enthusiasm standpoint, I'm satisfied with what it got. Everyone seemed to like it. I didn't get hardly any bad feedback. I got some constructive criticism, but I didn't get any bad feedback. But from a revenue standpoint, it was a dramatic failure. It did very, very relative to what my normal post fight specials get. It did quite poorly in terms of, um, ads. Now you can fix some of that. So I don't, that's not a permanent situation, but that gave me some pause. Plus I like doing the post fight specials because, um, they're just, they just work for me and they work for my style. And there's a lot of other things that I can't do. You know, I can't update Facebook while this is going on, which I like to do. I have trouble tweeting while this is going on, which I like to do. So uh, I'm definitely going to do another one, probably before the end of the year. But I don't know. I don't know. And I need to get some sponsors for it because it was not good at generating revenue. What made you want to learn Spanish? Um, My in-laws speak it. And my child's probably going to speak it. And... That means I need to have some grasp of it. Are you good at speaking it yet? Nope. Nope. My my accent, believe it or not, is not so bad, but my vocabulary is just really limited. Mercifully, I don't sound like Gareth Bale. Hola, madristas. Mi sueño es real. All right. Jesus, this is a long answer. Advantages and disadvantages of sumo deadlift over traditional deadlift. I would just say there are way better people to ask this than me. Uh, I would ask Johnny Candido or Lane Norton or Mike Isratel. I would go to them before you ask me on this. But if you're just asking, like a real basic key difference is that um, sometimes with a conventional pull, you have a lot of, if you have any issues with making sure that your back is straight, and you're really engaging the posterior chain, then you need to do sumo in my judgment because it's much easier to keep a, I think to get upper back tightness and to keep a generally up a tight back more generally with sumo and a, and a flat back as well. You can still get some of that mid back rounding on the conventional if your setup isn't right. And it's just a lot easier to get the setup right on sumo because you merely have to put your feet, your shins at the knurling, adjust accordingly. Put them out, and then the bar goes right up against your shin. So you can just drive it straight up. The bar path is clear on the conventional. uh, If you don't get that bar placement over the midfoot just right and play with it exactly where it's supposed to be, you'll often wind up seeing guys reach for the bar like that as opposed to having a flat back. And uh, that can create some problems at the top end of the pole. You might end up looking like Donald Trump Jr., who is a deadlifting goober idiot. And by the way, I had some folks who, you know, who got. Why are you making fun of him, bro? <laughs> Why are you making fun of him, bro? He, he said it wasn't very good. Every gym bro does a super terrible, god awful lift and then tries to hedge it by saying in the comments, hey, man, it wasn't pretty, but the weight went up. So, first of all, it's just a flat out excuse that every other gym bro does. Second of all, I've given him a shout out on this very live chat before. If you're on Instagram, you should follow King of the Lifts. It's a deadlift account that does nothing but basically show awesome deadlifts all the time. And they roasted him. They roasted him. So you can say what you want about me, but you got people whose jobs are nothing but covering the deadlift. And they clowned his dumb ass too. So that was great. True or false. If Gechi beats Alvarez and fights Poirier next, their title eliminator is a surefire contender for fight of the year in 2018. Yeah, God. Also, Justin Gaethje, Alvarez, who you got? I'm going to lean Gaethje. I think Alvarez can smoke anybody if he's on his A game, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Justin Gaethje, man, he's fighting in a way where he can't fight like that for very long, but um, it is what it is. He's he's just going to do that. And I think he's, he can probably get away with it for a little while longer. A little while longer. It's going to be fun. Uh, how about this? Safe to say that Mike Brown belongs to that group of really good, but underappreciated coaches. He seems to be doing a good job with party as well as other ATT guys. Yes, that's true. I think a big part of that is, um, he doesn't do a lot of interviews and when he does, he doesn't necessarily say anything like super groundbreaking. And I think he does it on purpose. Um, so, you know, if you see these coaches that have these like incredible interviews, that gets shared around everywhere. They tend to get celebrated a little bit, which they should because, you know, maybe if they're being interviewed, they're doing something amazing. But um, he doesn't really do that. And so I think he kind of gets downplayed a little bit, but I agree. He he clearly has a... Uh, he does a phenomenal job. <sighs> Who do you think makes sense for Valentina Shevchenko to fight at 125? Tough winner. New Invicta flyweight champ. I don't see her ever losing at flyweight in her career. Well, that's a bit of a strong statement, but I don't. I don't have a strong feeling about any one person, but sure. Tough winner sounds right. Invicta flyweight champ, sure. Any of that, sure. A-a-a- really anything, man. That Paige Van declining that fight it was about the smartest thing she's ever done. Uh, fellow Marine vet here. Were you officer or enlisted? I was enlisted. The new owners need our help. Here's my list of fighters I want to see. Nick Diaz. I don't think new owners can help you. Nate Diaz. I think you'll see him eventually. Stipe. I think you'll see him eventually. Duho Choi and Korean Zombie. I think you'll see all but Nick. Where does GSP's middleweight title win place him among ATG rankings? Ask to Grass. I don't know. Um, While it is disappointing to not have a question answered, I much prefer the current thoroughness of your answers to important questions over everyone getting a brief 20-second answer. Just wanted to give my feedback. Appreciate it. Are the people who are calling Frankie Edgar a bitch on Instagram for pulling out of the Holloway fight tougher than Frankie Edgar? I think you know the answer to that. Just sad people. You know, they're just real. People who do that understand who they are. These are people who have been beaten up by the world, right? And they're lashing out back in any way they can, typically in a powerless way. You ever seen those dudes who are clearly homeless and insane who will cross the street when it's like your turn to go and you're you're in your car and you're about to drive through a street and their sign clearly says, do not walk, and they just walk through anyway. They're doing this because they're the most powerless people on earth. Because they have, no, they have no control over their super awful, effed up lives. That maybe it's bad luck, maybe it's their own mismanagement, maybe it's a combination of the two. And uh, you got to feel for people like that. You know, it's hard to feel for people who are calling other people names online. But that's who those people are. They're just the most weak. They're the most powerless. They're the most troubled. Um, the ones who have nothing um, that they're really happy with. So they lash out at the world and people who have something um, as a consequence. What do you make of recent heavyweight old guard defeating younger prospects? Arlovsky defeating Albini, Verdum defeating Tybora Hunt defeating Lewis, and possible Overeem defeating Inganu. Is this experience winning out? I think so. Or is heavyweight ability the best among the active older fighters? I think those guys have a lot of cunning. And uh, yes, they age out, but power still a big component of that game. If you see a guy coming through heavyweight who's just got like incredible power, but also like dynamic speed and movement and good defense, I think they would just run over people. But there's just not a lot of those coming through heavyweight. With an emphatic win over Bisping, will Kevin Kelvin Gastelum be able to get a shot at the title after the situation with the two belts uh, gets resolved? A win over champion is good, but the uh, um. You know, he is coming off that loss against Weidman, so it would be a one-fight-win streak, so I think we'd have to temper our enthusiasm for that. Why do people value Sonnen's opinion? He's a known liar and cheater. I find it comical that he passes judgment on Jones, Anderson, and Vanderlei. Um, I think people like the way he presents ideas. He is funny, certainly to some anyway. Um, I do think he. I, I've talked to Chael in private many times. I do think he's very bright, and I would want somebody who's cheated to talk about what they understand in terms of seeing people who have had issues like Jones or Anderson. Sure, but if you don't like it, s- state it. Uh, I, I can't pretend to listen to all his podcasts, but I don't generally hold a negative opinion of him in that way. The segment of the population who enjoy Covington are the same people who think there are no repercussions for trash talk maybe maybe why do you think megan has not been fighting i i would love to know the answer to this i don't know i don't know i had her on my show that week she was going to fight cyborg and then everything just went it's it's unusual it's unusual to say the least What exactly has WME added to the UFC? A new ownership group? Is Tyron Woodley's biggest weakness his ability to change game plan within a fight? And his losses against, he just seemed like he couldn't change mid-fight, and his confidence waned as the fight progressed. Do you think Nate could take advantage of that? Probably not. I just feel like the physicality difference would be too much. Uh... How do you feel about palm strikes in BJJ competition? Did you watch the TKO at Combat Jiu Jitsu Worlds? Uh, I did not, and I think it's interesting, but ultimately, I'm not sure. It just feels like a poor man's jiu jitsu. (laughs) Sorry, poor man's like MMA jiu jitsu. It's like some of the same. It's like not exactly that because you have much more involved jiu jitsu in a jiu jitsu competition naturally than you would in an MMA fight. But insofar as those like grappling tie ups are concerned. It didn't feel exactly the same to me, but you know, it didn't feel it, it just felt like I can get this in a better version in MMA. I appreciate the experimentation, believe me. Again, I appreciate promoters. In this case, the thing goes Eddie, Eddie Bravo. I appreciate them trying to push the envelope and seeing what things look like. But in the end, and, and I appreciate MMA that goes back to some notion of a combative application, right? Where, you know, if you leave yourself exposed, um, you can get you can get hurt. I appreciate that as well. I really do. I'm not just saying that lightly, but in the end, it was like, I don't know. Is this some kind of real alternative to watching MMA? It just felt like watching water down MMA to an, to an extent. Any news on who will be fighting Lamas or Ortega? Well, Ortega is going to be fighting Cub Swanson. As for Lamas, I had him on my show on Friday and even he doesn't know. So, Do you think Alex the Mahler Gustafson should fight DC next, seeing as Wilkin Ozdemir is caught up with all that law stuff at the moment. I don't know if it's the law issue, but if you're asking me which one I have more enthusiasm for, it's definitely the Mahler fight. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> True or false? By 2020, at least 50% of champions will be European. Champions where? In soccer? uh are you going to do another live watch party for ufc shanghai this weekend would be great for all of us losers <laughs> who are waking up early to watch live while everyone else sleeps um probably not probably not hi luke if you could devise a card assuming no injuries but you saw the suspension still in place what three fights would you love to make at the top of the card Love the show. Hope you're doing well. Thank you very much. I would say um Stipe versus Kane. I mean, I know that you know he's not here, but you're just thinking out loud. Stipe versus Kane. Um Nganu versus DC. I kind of want to see. And uh Habib versus Connor. Your favorite Simpsons character, as well as who you feel is the most overrated? Um, most overrated. Okay, first of all, my favorite Simpsons character is easily Groundskeeper Willie. I mean, Bonjour, you cheese eating surrender monkeys is easily one of the greatest lines ever. And then, who's the most overrated? Who's the baby? Maggie? Never got her appeal. <laughs> Yeah, leave her at the at the Springfield Orphanage as far as I'm concerned. Uh, okay. Well, it's 2.30. There we go. All right. We're done. Very good. Uh, appreciate you guys tuning in. Don't forget tomorrow, 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 tomorrow at 1 p.m. The MMA Beat will be on. So give that a view. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, subscribe to MMA Fighting below. Like this video. Thank you guys so much. If I don't talk to you until next Monday, then do me a favor, enjoy Thanksgiving, travel safe. I wish nothing but the best for you and your family. Please do not drink and drive. Call an Uber, call a Lyft, call a friend, catch a bus, get the metro, catch the subway, get a bike, walk if you have to. Just don't drink and drive. Okay. Everyone have a safe holidays. Um, thank you guys so much. Happy Thanksgiving. And until next time, stay frosty.